This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, Happy New Year. We ended 2016 with two road wins. In week two, the first week of 2017, seven of nine NLL teams will be in action. And after recording three assists in his first ever professional indoor lacrosse game, Tom Schreiber of The Rock will stop by and tell us about his experience. All that more on OTCB. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first edition of 2017 here on Off the Crossbar. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thanks for stopping by, and I hope you all had an incredible holiday season and a very happy new year. If you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. And there's some good news for everybody. We had two games already. They were both quite entertaining games, obviously, depending on who you were cheering for. We have seven of nine teams in action, and we'll try to look at all four of those games. Vancouver playing a very, very tough doubleheader to start. We'll talk about that a little bit later as well. And I'm going to Denver. It's a pretty cool opportunity, an incredible experience, and I am so excited to be joining the Altitude family, the Mammoth family, uh, the Cronky Sports family. Um, But don't worry, it won't change things here at the OTCB podcast. We'll still do this. We'll still cover all the National Lacrosse League teams and in-depth as we can, and we'll continue to go through all lacrosse as much as we can. But for home games in Colorado, I will be with the Altitude play-by-play team alongside colorman Jamie Shuchuk and the man between the benches, nonchalant John Gallant. And uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun, and we hope to bring you guys uh, some of the best coverage in the entire National Lacrosse League. So a uh, big shout-out um, to Steve Govett, who helped make this all an opportunity, and uh, I'm super thrilled and can't wait to get down there this weekend as the Mammoth will host the Vancouver Stealth in their first home game of the year. Uh, First of three straight, actually, for the Mammoth. And as mentioned, second in two nights for the Vancouver Stealth as they'll take on Calgary Friday night at Pengrove Saddledome before hopping on a plane and heading down to Denver, uh, most likely the next morning. It's not too often that teams fly the night of a game. So Vancouver will have a very long travel date. Good thing is they'll stay in the same time zone and then go from Calgary to Denver to take on the Mammoth. And as we've noticed and seen in years past, just because a team played the night before doesn't mean they are a wounded dog ready for slaughter. It's a very weird NLL phenomenon where a team coming off back-to-back often may may have a slow start, but come third and fourth quarter, they seem to have more in the tank, which is really weird to think about. And I know people have looked at the numbers before, and I don't know the cool, you know, schematics and technological know-how to 
how to pull all that data up other than going year by year. But there's a pretty high percentage of teams playing back-to-back winning that second game. So if you're a Colorado Mammoth fan and you just happen to be looking at the schedule and you're like, oh, Vancouver, okay, great. Oh, wait, Vancouver plays the night before? Sweet, this should be a win for us. Not so fast. Uh, The Mammoth came off a very impressive win against Buffalo last weekend in their season opener. But they got to be careful not to look too far ahead and not get ahead of themselves and just do what I was just talking about and think, oh, Vancouver played the night before. This should be an easy one because there's no easy games in this league anymore. So that's one of the games this upcoming weekend. Vancouver at Colorado, as mentioned, Friday night, Vancouver at Calgary. Uh, another West Division battle that will be highly contested. Um, if we all remember back to the incident that happened between Saskatchewan and Calgary, uh, we've missed a week of show, so you may not be aware, I'm, most of you will be aware, the NLL suspended five players, three from Calgary, two from Saskatchewan. Frankie Shiliano, Garrett McIntosh, and Greg Harnett from Calgary. Ben McIntosh and Aaron Bold from Saskatchewan. Now, if the PLPA hadn't appealed those suspensions, then all those players would have been suspended for opening weekend. However, because they did appeal and they are appealing, um, most likely... Uh, those guys, because I don't really, I don't know if those suspensions will get overturned. It'll be interesting to see how this all comes out. This is only Tuesday. Uh, we'll probably know what happens from those arbitrations uh, later on in this week. Um, but we could essentially see Christian Del Bianco make his first ever National Cross League start Friday night in Calgary, and he's only 19. And I believe he'd probably become the second youngest player to ever play in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, I think the record now belongs to Latrell Harris, who is still in high school, coached by Matt Vince, which is a crazy fact that I think Graham Perro dug up. Was other Perro Stamper? Uh, one of those two guys. They're both crazy with those real fun facts. But if Christian Dobianco starts, I'm going to be very interested to watch that game and see how he does. I don't have any doubts that he will play a very strong and solid game. I don't think he, I, I believe he gives Calgary a great chance to win. But it'll be interesting to see how he comp- holds himself and his composure throughout the whole game. He is one of the most calm, demeanored goaltender I've ever seen. If he gets scored on, he just turns around, picks the ball up out of the net, hands it to the referee, moves on. Not a lot phases the kid. And he's going to be going up against a very high-powered Vancouver offense. And it'll be interesting to see. So let's not get the cart in front of the horse quite yet. Uh, As mentioned, we're still waiting to hear from the National Lacrosse League and, and what they've decided through the appeal of those four suspensions. And speaking of those suspensions, I found it kind of odd, and I talked with the guys on Lack Sportsnet about it, and I've talked to a few other people about it, uh, that it just seemed 
not knee-jerk, but I think it was the National Lacrosse League trying to set a precedence. And it has come by way of emails and phone calls and, and conference calls um, that the National Lacrosse League wants to move away from the fighting narrative. They're not taking fighting out of lacrosse. They understand it's a part of the game, but they don't want you know, direct focus of conversations to be about fights, even if the fights happen. So by going ahead and suspending players right away, just like this, in a preseason game, I think they're trying to set the mark and and the bar. And I can see why Garrett McIntosh is getting suspended. He came off the bench. While there's not much video evidence of it that I have been able to see, Greg Harnett was one of the main instigators with a high hit to Jeff Cornwall, and so that's why he received a one-game suspension. The reason they suspended Aaron Bold was because he left his crease to join a fight. Well, Frankie Shuliano did the same thing, so that makes sense. And apparently Ben McIntosh was a real aggressor in all of this, and he also received a one-game suspension. But in, in situations like those... Sometimes, you know what, I think if you find a coach, like Kurt Miloski, you find him for letting Garrett McIntosh leave the bench, I get it. That's a natural fine to give. You suspend McIntosh for leaving the bench, I get it. But if you're going to single out players, why, why does everybody else on the floor get a pass? Nick Billich was trying to fight everybody. And the first fight was Robert Church and Dan McRae, and none of those guys got anything. So they're the first fight, but everybody else kind of joined in. And in years past, we've seen players get suspended or given game misconducts retroactively or fined for being a part of those extracurriculars. But we didn't quite see that. And maybe that was because the, the NLL understood that there was heated blood between these two teams um, and they couldn't afford to suspend all eight or ten guys that were on the floor at the time. But it just seemed kind of odd how it went about. And that's why I'm really interested to see what happens with the appeals process and if the PLPA essentially won for these players to allow them to play. So we'll have to wait and see. Speaking of the PLPA, and this is something that I've questioned many times before, but I'm hearing this storyline come up from more and more players. And it's the fact of if player A cross-checks player B in the head with a dangerous hit and player A gets five in a game and say it's like his second or third high stick, so he's going to get a suspension. The PLPA will go to bat for that player to try to have the suspension appealed or reduced so that they can play again. But the concern is, from player B's standpoint, is that the Players Association is trying to get the offender off and not actually trying to do anything for the guy who was hit in the head. Now, I understand the Players Association is for all of the players. And that's what associations are for. They look out for the best interest of the players. But it's situations like these where if, you know, I hit 
somebody in the head and I get suspended, the PLPA will appeal for me. But what are they doing for the guy that I hit in the head and maybe gave a concussion to? And now he's out for two or three weeks. It's a double-edged sword. And it's an interesting narrative to take and to look at in how do we say that we're protecting players but also keep players' interest and keep players on the floor. Does the Players Association have to find a line and say, you know what, we'll do, you know, if it's a borderline call, see, even that gets, even I just stopped myself, that's a gray area. There has to be some sort of hard line because you have to make the players feel like, yeah, you're doing everything for my benefit, but are you really? And like I said, this is just something that I've heard in passing and and being around a lot of national lacrosse teams over the years is that, yeah, the PLPA is great and um, they do so much for the players, but the double-edged sword conversation is something that needs to be talked about. Moving on. I just kind of went off on a bit of a tangent there, but that's how things happen. Uh, The other two games this weekend... Saskatchewan at Georgia and New England at Rochester. Both of those on Saturday along with the Vancouver-Colorado game. Saskatchewan-Georgia, I think, should be a very interesting matchup. Um, Two very potent offenses. Two very different defenses. And two goaltenders that are pretty familiar with each other. With Aaron Bold and Mike Poulin. Again, this is if Boldy's able to play. If he's not able to play, Tyler Carlson will get the nod. And Frank Dubinsky, who Calgary signed off the free agent wire, will be their backup goaltender, which brings around a question about Calgary, is if Frankie Shiliano can't play, who becomes their backup goaltender when Del Bianco gets to start? Because they have still yet, by looking at the transaction wire, They haven't signed another goaltender. They were one of the teams that just ran with two. So we'll have to wait and see again as this all plays out still early in the week. But Georgia-Saskatchewan, I think, will be a fast-paced, high-scoring game. And I'm more interested to see how Georgia is received in year two. They had a okay number in game one, and then I think they had, according to Paul Tutka, one of the biggest drop-offs from game one to game two in attendance. When I talked with uh, Commissioner Nick Sakevich at the beginning of his reign last year, and I asked him about um, the Georgia market and being in in that area, and and if it was going to be successful, he was adamant, adamant, that it was going to work down there, and then they just needed some time. Well, they've had over a year now, a little bit over a year, because they got a late jump in Georgia, but they've had over a year, and they were a playoff team last year. I'm interested to see what kind of numbers they get out, because if this, I think I said this a few weeks ago, if this is a good team and they're still not getting fans, I'm going to be worried. Because Sikevich has also said he doesn't want to be losing teams. He doesn't want to be moving teams. So they're going to have to find a way to get the numbers out in Georgia. 
Not a bad thing that the two-time defending champs are coming to town. But if this fan base can't get around their own team, then you can't rely on trying to sell the other team because that just looks bad from my idea, my perspective. And then the last game, New England at Rochester. New England getting their first taste of action this year, and we'll get to see defending goalie of the year Evan Kirk, MVP runner-up Sean Evans, and we'll get a good idea of, of how good this New England Black Wolves offense is Second year under Glenn Clark, we'll be able to see how much chemistry these guys held over from last year and if they pick right up where they left off last year. I'm excited to see this New England Black Wolves team. A lot of people think that this is the team to come out of the East this year. I can buy it. Their defense got better. Kirk's playing with the most confidence he's ever had. And a team with Sean Evans is always dangerous. And I think I said that um, in my preview on Inside the Cross, is that any team that has Sean Evans on, it has to be a contender no matter what. And he's been on contenders everywhere he's gone. And he goes back to his old stomping grounds into Rochester to take on the Nighthawks, who I don't want to say were embarrassed in their own barn, but they got worked and completely owned 12-5 by the Toronto Rock. And that was a game that I had picked to Toronto to win because I just felt with all the new faces in Rochester that it was going to be really hard for that group to come together early on in the season. And I think they have a really, really long way to go all year long. Uh, no Vitarelli. Um, obviously no Jammer. We don't know his timetable for return. Um, they're just in a world of hurt offensively, and Dan Dawson can only do so much. Uh, Stephen Keel was placed on the physically unable to perform list. Uh, I believe he had the flu, so he didn't play. That was another huge loss. So other than Dan Dawson, the guys out the front door hadn't had much experience, if any at all. And you could just tell the way that offense was going. There wasn't any cohesion. They weren't clicking. Um their offense was scattered at best for most of the game. And then Matt Vince didn't play his best. Uh, that, that defense was suspect. They had a lot of holes all over the floor. And when you get Matt Vince reeling and you get him pointing fingers and calling out his defense and then you get him running out of the net to try to check defenders, usually it's not going to go well. And Brody Merrill's already got three points. That pass, Vince's stick is cracked in half as he tried to beat Jordan Magnuson to the ball and a stick cracked in half. And now he's playing with a forward stick. Actually, he borrowed it from one of his defensemen. Magnuson in on goal and he scores. I don't think a, uh, I don't think a, uh, a player stick was gonna save that one. Just another, and another goal in transition here. What's that, their third or fourth goal in transition that they've scored? and. Just a great, great shot there put in the top, top far corner. That's Craig Rybzinski and Chris Driscoll with the call from Rochester. And while they were describing the abnormalcy of seeing Matt Vince break his own goaltender stick on Jordan Magnuson and then take one of his defender stick and try to play with that, 
throughout all that, Magnuson tracked all the way back. I believe he was running back with Sandy Chapman, and Chapman turned the defender who was going up the floor in transition right into Jordan Magnuson and laid one of the biggest open field hits we've seen in a long time. And Chapman did the right thing. Magnuson makes the hit. Chapman picks up the loose ball, just lobs it over Magnuson's head, who perfectly runs onto it and beats Vince over the shoulder. And that was just a perfect summation of what was going on with that Rochester group on Thursday night. Just shambles all over the floor. And it resulted in a 12-5 loss at home, which isn't something you rarely see from a Rochester Nighthawks team, but it happened. Now, you mentioned what Drisky said there. At that point in time, I think that goal made it 7-2. I think it made it 7-2. Maybe 7-4. And as he said, it was their third or fourth transition goal. And Brody Merrill was the catalyst of that. And everybody mentioned it on Twitter. And everybody was talking about how good Brody Merrill looked in game one. It was like he was back in Portland. And it was his early days in the National Lacrosse League. And he was just controlling the floor, controlling the defense, picking off passes, running the floor, and a complete floor general from the defensive end. And what a great pick as captain. We talked about that on the show, um, of how he was sort of the obvious choice. And Matt Sawyer said the same thing. And when you watch Brody Merrill play that night on Thursday, it was absolutely a treat to watch and a defensive masterclass, and a perfect way to run transition. And all you young guys that want to run transition, watch what Brody Merrill does on like the three or four two-on-ones that he helped create. He didn't always push to the net. He made he drew the defense so he could get the pass to either Casey Beers or to Brett Hickey. And then when they did give him the shot, he went top corner. Note to goaltenders. Brody Merrill shoots top corners. You're welcome. But just what a fantastic game from the Toronto Rock front to back. Uh, I mentioned Latrell Harris earlier. Uh, He looked actually quite good in his first game. He um, didn't really get beat a lot. He wasn't out of place. Uh, Just trying to see his numbers here. Latrell Harris, two assists, uh, ten loose balls. He had three shots. Sorry, five shots. A couple were on breakaways. It was a pretty impressive game for the rookie. And you know what? There were two other guys. Actually, they had three other rookies who made their highly anticipated debuts. Tom Schreiber, Kieran McCardle, and Challen Rogers, who was the second overall pick. And, you know, I've seen Challen Rogers play for a long time. He didn't really stand out for me. Um, he just kind of looked like he was still getting his feet wet, only had three loose balls, but he played a steady defensive game, ran the floor in transition, and as he often does, took good care of the ball. So oftentimes when you don't notice a guy, um, it doesn't mean he didn't play a great game or a bad game. It just meant he played a steady stand-up game. However, the other two, Kieran McCardle and Tom Schreiber, welcome to the National Lacrosse League. It took them a while, but once they got their feet wet and once they got into the flow of things, 
They didn't look out of place at all. And there's all this talk about, you know, Americans not being able to convert and and not understanding the nuances. If you can bring guys into the right systems and use their game and their skill to their advantage, you can be successful. Now, Tom Schreiber is a bit of a shooter. He took a few more shots than Kieran McArdle did. But you know what? He was just getting used to the indoor game. End of the night with three assists. McArdle had a goal and two assists. And what I loved most about their game was the patience that they showed. Oftentimes, and I remember Paul Rabel in his early days, even when he was in Philadelphia and they were trying to run him out the front door, he would try to jam shots short side or he'd try to force things through the middle or throw these crazy passes that in field lacrosse would probably work, but in the tight confines of the box just aren't available. And when I would watch McCardle play and I would watch Schreiber play, they weren't making those rookie mistakes. They weren't trying to force the ball. They were keeping it in their strong hand. They were rolling properly off picks. They were cutting in the middle. They were setting picks to get guys open. And it was incredible to see. And if they can contribute combined six points tonight, I'm sold. And they fit right in. And today, being a Tuesday, the Toronto Rock have practice out at the track. So uh, McCardle and Schreiber were flying up out of New York. And I was lucky enough to be able to catch up with Tommy uh, before they got on their flight. And I just, the first thing I asked him, uh, what the experience was like in his first ever National Cross League game. Um, it was fun. You know, it's certainly uh, a very different game, a very different atmosphere. Um, kind of getting a lot thrown at us um, as the first game, you know, traveling over the border on the bus, uh, going through the walkthrough and an arena versus, you know, a field and, mm-hmm. you know, everything from figuring out the drills are doing and, and warm-ups to, you know, playing the game itself was uh, definitely a little different, pretty wild experience, but uh, I enjoyed it and, you know, I'm looking forward to the next one. What was the mindset of this Rock team going in? Uh, you know, obviously last year wasn't their greatest year. You weren't there for that, obviously. But, you know, this is a team that, that is genuinely in the playoffs. What's the mindset of the group going into the start of the year? I think, you know, even as a new guy where, you know, I, I don't have any history to really point to. And, you know, like you said, I wasn't here last year. You could tell that this is kind of a, a new beginning for the Toronto Rock. And I think guys are really excited. And I think that showed um, – on the field uh, on Thursday, I think guys are playing um, for each other, and I think guys are playing really hard. And you know, like I said, I, I really think that showed, particularly you know, on the defensive end, and how well we were able to push the ball in transition. Um, it's a fun group, it's a physical group, and I think you know, I think we're going to be able to have some success going forward. Is it pretty cool to see how good Brody can be both outdoors and indoors? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've been watching him forever, and. Um, I continue to be impressed every time he's on the floor. Uh, it, was, it was pretty clear from, from day one at training camp here that he was going to be um, a big-time leader for us. But, yeah, I mean, it's 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 very cool to see how good he is indoor. And then, you know, I, I've obviously been uh, one of his victims outside. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pretty cool to see both. Uh, how long did it take you and, and Kieran to sort of adjust uh, Thursday night because you know being in practices and preseason games is one thing but uh, a real game is another how long did it take you guys to just become acclimated with everything um, I, I'd say we're, we're, we're probably still getting acclimated yeah. uh, it, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel new um, for a while I know there's a couple points in the game where 
um, you know, there were certain calls or, or little, you know, strategies we were trying to do that, that neither of us knew what were going on, what was going yeah. on. But, uh, you know, I, I think we're getting more and more comfortable every time we take the floor, whether it's a camp or a game. Um, and I think the goal for both of us really is to, to not get too frustrated and to continue to just, you know, improve a little bit every time we're out there. It's always good uh, to have guys you can lean on and talk to, whether it's between drills or on the road. Who are some of the guys you've kind of bonded with to, to help make the adjustments a little easier for you? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, Brett, Brett Hickey's been there for me from day one. You know, I had never met him before. Um, I was very much a new guy coming in. Uh, you know, this was probably about a month now. And he kind of he helped me out. You know, we both play on the right side. Um, he's been giving me tips throughout the last month. And then uh, another guy for me is Mike McDonald, who I've known yeah. for uh, five or six years now. And I've played, played with him in college, played with him in the MLL. Um, you know, the moment I signed with Toronto, he was, you know, he gave me a call that day. Uh, he's already given me tips on, you know, how to how to start to get ready and, and, and get more comfortable. And he's been um, huge for me and, and for Kieran, yeah. um, you know, the entire time. I guess it also helps to have Kieran alongside with you uh, traveling on the road. I know you guys are in the airport right now. Who's the airport mom? Who has to make sure that all the luggage is checked in and you guys didn't forget anything in the restaurant or in the room? I'd say we're a pretty good team. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I think we, we've both had to lean on each other a few times. Yeah. Um, during the week, we, we fly home on Wednesdays at, at 6 in the morning, so that's a, a 4 a.m. wake up with a yeah. – 45 minute cab ride and then we got to get through customs and all that. So there's definitely, there's been a few hiccups, but nothing, <laughs> nothing major, but we've, we definitely leaned on each other a little bit. Um, over the years, you know, we've seen Americans try and make the jump uh, from the outdoor game to the indoor game. What's been the biggest challenge for you? Um, just the shooting, you know, yeah. it's kind of an obvious answer. It's nothing uh, overly complicated. It's just going from shooting on a six by six with a goalie with no pads on to, you know, a much smaller goal with a goalie with a lot of pads on. Um, and, you know, kind of as I said before, it, it's, you know, I try not to get frustrated. Um, yeah. I definitely, I, I feel like I've been able to get some decent looks out there, but, uh, you know, it, it's still an adjustment. And, you know, like I said, I'm just trying to get better at it every time I step out there. And um, I do feel like I'm making some progress despite not putting, uh, putting any in the other night. But uh, mm. hopefully we can, those will start to fall as uh, as these weeks go on. It's got to be a little uh, disheartening, the fact that you guys only played twice in January. What's the biggest thing for you over this next stretch to make sure that you're still progressing uh, while you are playing very few games? Um, just constantly learning. You know, yeah. um, it, it even helps me to watch, you know, some of the youth games that are going on at the track while we're waiting for practice. Nice, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm so new to it that, you know, anytime I get to watch watch the game being played live on film, whatever it is, it helps me. Um, you know, I'm brand new to it. First time I ever shot on a box bully was, I, I think, the day after Thanksgiving. So <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, I'm still brand new. Um, I have a box goal at my at, at home now. Um, nice. Just continuing to kind of plug away and just get better and not get frustrated when you know things are not really going my way. Just keep keep trucking, keep trying to get better. Obviously, the the big talking point with with Canadians and Americans and the NLL and the MLL is the the crossover between schedules. 
how important was it for you to ensure the Toronto Rock that you were going to be a full-time guy and, and not allow the MLL crossover to be an issue? Uh, it, it's a tough situation. I think it's a pretty unfortunate situation overall. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I try not to think about it too much. Um, you know, I, I love my teammates in Ohio. Um, I've been thrilled to be there. Um, the entire time, but I think at, at this point in my career, you know, the opportunity kind of presented itself, and um, I came up and and gave it a shot, and you know now uh, I'm a part of this team, and, I, and yeah. I owe it to them to be there, you know, as long as I can. Um, and it's hard; it, it's extremely tough because you know I wish I could, I wish I could, you know, play play a game Friday night and go play yeah. the next day with the machine, but you know at, at this point it's not doesn't really seem like that's a possibility, but my hope is that down the road they can figure something out, and, and hopefully that'll open the door for more players to do both. And it's not only just Americans playing in the NLL. I think a lot of Canadians can make yeah. make an impact in the MLL. Um, you know, I, I, there's more to it than I think people would think, and I don't Absolutely. I don't know enough about it. I'm not educated enough in you know this um, subject to really know what the holdup is, but yeah. Um, I'd certainly love to see both leagues kind of work together and be able to, you know, have guys playing both. How did you get the the link up with the Toronto Rock? Um, well, I, I heard from Jamie. I think yeah. uh, sometime in October. Um, you know, that was I, I heard from from Josh after that, and then I heard from Brody. Um, yeah. I think the following day, and you know, Brody stayed on the phone with me for you know a half hour, and um, I, I've only met him maybe once or twice just playing against each other at, right. at, or playing with each other at an all-star game or something. But, uh, you know, anytime, you know, you have guys like, like Josh and guys like Cody, uh, on the phone, it's, uh, it's pretty special. And I liked what those guys had to say. And, and you know, honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about playing Boston. I wasn't really yeah. you know, interested in playing. Like I didn't, I didn't, you know, think in, in August that I'd be, <laughs> I was talking to you, or, or yeah, or, yeah, play, yeah. Play, or uh, playing for the Rock. But um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, if, if there was ever a time I could do this or, or, or try it out, it'd be now. And um, you know, here I am. It's it's, it's still kind of hard for me to believe that I even played yeah. you know, the other night. Um, but I, I, I've enjoyed it so far, and I, you know, I it, I hope it's something that I can can continue to do. And uh, just like I said a couple times now, just continue to get better. When, when you you said you didn't see hadn't seen any lacrosse before, it, it, when you growing up in East Meadow, New York, on the island, were you a Saints fan or were the Saints around then? Or is it something uh, you had were. any interest in? Yeah, uh, they were. It's uh, I had a, a handful of birthday parties there. Yeah, um, and you know it's I think a mile and a half from where I grew up is Nassau Coliseum. So yeah, you know I was pretty young. I'm not sure the exact year where they moved on, but uh, it wasn't something that. I thought I'd ever do, but I did yeah. enjoy watching it, and I had a great time at those games. And I know um, I went to a bunch of them and, and you know, stayed after for autographs and all that stuff. But uh, yeah. I was I was always more drawn to uh, the Wizards and watching those games. But right. I, I I did go to a lot of both. I went to both and uh, enjoyed both of them. But you know, playing the box is not something that I ever saw myself doing. Well, you're now doing it, my friend. Uh, enjoy the travels. Uh, one game in the book, and uh, it was a pretty good showing for both you and Kiernan. Uh, have a safe travel, and, and congratulations, and welcome to the National Crossing, buddy.
Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. There is Tom Schreiber of the Toronto Rock. Uh, real nice guy. Um, great interview. Uh, and just when you can hear players talk openly and candidly um, about their experiences and about situations and how they feel, it just makes for better listening. And it makes for my job easier because guys are able to relax more and elaborate more. And and the one question I really wanted to ask Tom was, you know, about the lap, overlap between MLL and MLL. And for a guy who went to Princeton, to admit that he's not smart enough to figure out why we can't come to an easy solution. It's the head scratch we're all sitting with. But he said he's committed to the Toronto Rock, and we'll have to wait and see what happens come springtime when the MLL and his Ohio machine take the field. He's the defending and reigning MLL MVP. How's it going to look if he has to sit out or he's not playing in their first couple games because he's committed to the Toronto Rock? And I commend him for doing that. But this is why we need to come together to find some sort of common ground so that Canadians can play outdoor, Americans can play indoor, and we can all have the best players playing. We'll have to wait and see. Um, so thanks to Tom uh, for giving us some time. I know he and Kieran were in the airport. You could probably hear some of the cargo people and the shuttles and all that good stuff in the background, but that's a whole part of it. Catching guys on the road, doing what they do. Um, let's do a quick interjection because uh, I have just heard back that the POPA has withdrawn their appeals for Aaron Bold and Ben McIntosh. So both of them are going to be out. So we will see Tyler Carlson get the start for the rush, most likely, unless something crazy happens and Pete Dubinsky has to step in. And no Ben McIntosh. So they'll both sit. Uh, Haven't heard um, on the Calgary situation uh, so Shiliano, Greg Harnett, Garrett McIntosh, tentatively, all still suspended. Um, but if the PLPA is going to withdraw their appeals for Bold and McIntosh, they might just go ahead and withdraw their suspensions for the guys in Calgary as well. But again, haven't heard on that end, so uh, maybe by the time I'm recording this, I will have heard, but as of now, no news. Let's go back to, uh, we kind of talked about the Toronto game a little bit against Rochester. The next night, Friday night, the Mammoth went into Buffalo and came away with a very impressive 12-9 victory, sorry, 12-8 victory over the defending Eastern Conference champion Buffalo Bandits. That was another game that caught a lot of people by surprise. And the Mammoth, able to jump out, to a 6-2 lead at halftime. Uh, Chris Wardle getting things going at 353. And they were just able to hold off the Buffalo Bandits offense. Now, I could have sworn, and he did, so they have changed it. Originally, um, they had given Dane Smith's goal to somebody else, and now they've re-edited it. And the reason why I kind of 
scratched my head was because I was reading Stephen Stamp's sort of analysis of that game, and he mentioned that Dane Smith didn't score, but I, I was sure that he had scored the last goal of the game, and he did. But to hold Dane Smith to just one goal is a fantastic performance by the Colorado defense, and having kind of been around this group for a bit, I've been able to watch Pat Coyle kind of implement his systems. And again, I believe it was Stamp or whoever, or maybe it was Chavez, um, who had said, you know, uh, last year Pat Coyle's defense caught a lot of teams off guard, but they've now had a year to evaluate and they should be able to withstand it. Well, Pat Coyle's not one for complacency, and he's added tweaks to his defense, and it's not the same defense that they played last year. So it caught a lot of teams off, it caught Buffalo off guard right away. And uh, they were sliding from different places. They were coming from different angles and not allowing Buffalo to get good clean shots on Dylan Ward. And when they did, Dylan Ward, the runner-up for goaltender of the year last year, was there standing tall. And he made 47 saves in the night and just looked composed, steady, and ready to move on to the next game. And you have to, I don't think there's any need to panic in Buffalo. Um, you know, their power play went over 2 on the night. Uh, wasn't the greatest night offensively for them, but they were able to, you know, it was 6-6 in the second half. So they, they withstood the storm in the first half. They just unfortunately fell too far behind and couldn't make up those final four goals to get back in the game. But, um, you know, they only lost once at home last year. So if that's their one loss, better to get it out of the way early. And move on. Um, they have this weekend off. Again, as mentioned, um, Colorado is at home to the Vancouver Stealth. And that's a game that is going to be uh, uh, one heck of a matchup. Uh, and again, Vancouver coming off playing the night before in Calgary. Uh, and when you get two massive Western matchups like these at the start of the year, as Doug Locker said, it's almost better to get this doubleheader out of the way early. It gets your team away from home, gets them on the road. You can do some bonding. Uh, you know, you're not going to be going out Friday night partying in Calgary. Unfortunately, no Cowboys for the boys. But they'll, you know, after the game, have a drink or two, settle yourselves down, calm it down, fly out first thing in the morning, and play the next day. And, you know, Everybody kind of know, they now know what Colorado is about after that first game. You may not have a full idea, but you are able to see them in film and get a look at them. We haven't seen Calgary and Vancouver, so I think that's what's going to make the first matchup on Friday night that much more interesting to see how both these teams really match up. Uh, when they played their preseason game in Vancouver, it was a very, very chippy affair as it often is especially between those two clubs because there's, there's because there's so many guys that play in the summer against each other. And there's that already instilled hatred and rivalry and beefs, and it carries over. And plus it's the Western pride, right? And you could sense that in that preseason game. So I expect Friday night at the Saddle Dome to be a rocking affair. It'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing how this new offense is going to look for the Stealth. Again, 
they're still without some bodies. They haven't made any roster moves moving into this final game, so still looks like they'll be without Corey Conway, without James Ray, without Garrett Billings. So the makeup of that stealth roster Friday night uh, will be up to Jamie Batley, obviously. But I didn't really notice a huge difference of having the extra player. Um, I didn't notice while the game was going on if any any teams had gone down a guy due to injury or anything like that. But um, looked like guys were fresh throughout the whole game. So, you know, adding the 17th body is great. Um, it allows when teams have injuries like these, they have the luxury of having that extra player to move in and out of the lineup. So we'll see what Batley does. And we'll see if they bring any extra bodies. Usually they do. Um, and who plays the first night, and, and if, if someone's going to play back-to-back or on one night or the other, we'll see um, what the makeup of that roster is. Uh, it'll be interesting. I, I'm looking forward to seeing Holden Katoni play uh, in a real national lacrosse league game. He impressed me during the regular, sorry, during the preseason. The evolution of West Berg is a story I think we all need to keep an eye on. Uh, the Denver pipeline of players coming into the national lacrosse league that are having a dramatic effect or have been having a dramatic effect on the growth of this league is an incredible story uh, from Berg to Matthews, the Nobles, Ilya Geich went to Denver for a bit. Um, There are guys throughout this league that have roots in Denver um, and with Team Canada. It's just a great story and one I think the National Lacrosse League should focus on at some point because that that is a great um, correlation between a very strong and burgeoning NCAA program, and the National Lacrosse League. So those are the games from last week. Um, We've kind of previewed the games from this week. And there haven't been any real pop and drops. Uh, We we mentioned some of the guys that were in and out of the lineup just because of uh, flus and sickness. Um, I haven't heard a reason of why Stephen LeBlanc wasn't playing for the Toronto Rock. He was a late scratch. Um, as I said, Stephen Keel was dropped and put on the pup list because I believe he had the flu. Um, Anthony Malcolm is on the first level IR. Blaze Riordan played his first National Lacrosse League game. Um, so this week, haven't seen a lot of action. Again, it's only Tuesday, so as we move forward with the week getting closer to Friday and Saturday, we could see some more action on the transaction wire. But that's kind of it. It was a slow first week. Um, We've gotten into the new year. We're going to hit things full stride. Um, Just some things that that I kind of noticed building up to to tonight. Uh, Toronto Rock only played two games in the month of January. Two. They don't play again until the 17th. And then the 28th, if I recall correctly. And that's just, you know, I talked about it with Tom about, you know, how do you stay focused and and, and stay dedicated to the cause of getting your stick in your hand and just getting out there. And, and it's not easy. Sorry, the 14th and the 28th are their two games. Uh, they're both home games. One to Saskatchewan and then a rematch with Rochester on the 28th at the ACC. But it's hard for teams to build momentum, not just on the floor, but to keep relevance off the floor as well with a fan base. Now, they haven't played a home game. So 
for casual fans, they may not know The Rock played their first game and won 12-5 over Rochester. And then when you have two and a half weeks between games and then two more weeks between games, you kind of lose that relevance in the media and in the sporting community. So we got to find a way to keep teams active. Like, I don't know why, you know, I'm not a schedule maker and it's got to be damn hard to find nine teams uh, playing 80-odd game, 82 games or whatever it is in nine different arenas and flight patterns and travel patterns and, and easy ways to make double headers and all those things that going, go into creating a schedule. But to have a team only play two games out of four weekends is a head, head scratcher. It's a bit of a head scratcher. Unfortunately, that's just the way it works. So we'll see how Toronto bounces back back on the 14th when they get back in action. But again, this weekend, there are four games on tap, and they all start Friday. Vancouver at Calgary, and then on Saturday, three of them. Saskatchewan at Georgia, New England at Rochester, Vancouver at Calgary. Of course, all of these games are going to be able to be viewed on NLL TV. Last week that it'll be free. So after your first week of experience, what did you think? Unfortunately, it kind of went how I expected it to go. And I don't know how I feel about it. Because we have to, you know, I'm trying to have an open outlook and positive mind frame about all of this. But the one concern I had going into all of it is that, yes, we have a dedicated place to watch all of these games, which is great. I'm not still sold on making people pay for it, especially because we're still getting Jumbotron feeds. And we still have to, you know, we didn't see as much of it. You know, we didn't get as many of the kiss cams or flex cams or dance cams or anything like that. But we still have too many fan shots and we still have too many fan interaction screens and we didn't miss a lot of action. Sidebar, just so we know, it's not always lacrosse people who miss goals. Um, in the Canada-Czech World Junior Hockey game on Monday night, uh, they missed a goal because they were showing a replay because it happened so quickly off a draw. So we're not the only ones. And it's not always the you know an easy thing to avoid. But the one thing that really kind of irked me um, and they did a good job in trying to adjust this the next night on Friday night, was we need to have something instead of just the logo screen when we are in TV timeouts. This is a perfect opportunity for the National Lacrosse League to showcase its sponsors, showcase its players, showcase its fans, all these things that we've been doing. And like I said, Friday night, they tried to do a better job of that. And, um, you know, we saw a bunch of the videos that Tyson Geik has done for NLL Productions. And it helps, but it's still not perfect. And yes, probably the weekend, the reason they gave the first two weekends free was to work out a lot of the bugs, but they still need to be better. And the fact that we only we only have a small sample size 
of videos from Tyson and from Mia that, you know, to be able to air something between every break is tough because that's a lot of filler. Now, it can be done, but when it's just Tyson Geick and Mia Gordon in NLL Productions, it's hard. This is why we need teams to start doing their own things as well. So that when we do go to those breaks, maybe we see a commercial for Under Armour or for String King. And then maybe we get a two-minute thing from Mia Gordon with an interview from a player. Or Tyson Geick does some piece on the fans in Buffalo. Or whatever it may be. But we can't have a 10-minute intermission go by with just the Nash Lacrosse League logo and pictures of the nine teams. It's not going to help. So, like I said, it's if we can find 30-second advertising spots, which are out there, String King has great videos, you know, showcasing John Grant, or they can show the videos uh, of them in the little cage that they have at the String King shack where they have just some incredible videos of Matt Gibson doing just the most insane ball-handling stick tricks. That doesn't sound good, but you know what I mean? They can show all those videos, and I think they're going to get there. But on Thursday night, I think it was kind of a worst-case scenario. And it was kind of expected on the first night. Rochester doesn't have the greatest of cameras, and they don't have the greatest of visuals, and it showed. But the next night when you went to Buffalo, you could just tell how crisper, much crisper, much crisper, how much more crisp the video was, the quality was, and the production was. So we need to just slowly get together. And I have a feeling, you know, by this weekend, by next weekend, all those bugs should be fixed. And it should help for a smooth, seamless stream. Will we still have weekends where we're going to have to hit refresh or we're going to lose a feed? Maybe. But that's just where we are right now. That's where NLL TV is right now. We're not NHL TV. We're not MLB Wham or any of those things with full HD productions. We don't have that yet. But the hope is we will. So don't throw NLL TV into the fire just yet. We still have another week. We head to Calgary and Georgia and Rochester and Colorado. And we'll see. If you happen to be in Colorado, I look forward to seeing you, meeting you, shaking your hand and saying hello. If you can't get to a rink, make sure you're checking things out on NLL TV. And if you can get to a rink, make sure you take a friend, introduce somebody to lacrosse. And if you can't take a friend, take a friend's kid. Because the more kids watching, the more our future continues to shine. My name's Teddy Jenner. Thanks to Tom Schreiber and thanks to you all for tuning in once again to the first edition of the OTCB podcast here in 2017. I wish you all a happy new year and I wish you all an amazing weekend. Again, if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbow. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. And remember, be excellent to each other. Everybody.